0: Hello and welcome to The Platform Podcast hosted by Marketplace Risk Advisory Board Chair El Tucker, a former journalist who writes, speaks, and consults on all things startups. The Platform Podcast features conversations with founders, operators, and experts tackling a myriad of topics facing the marketplace and sharing economy startup ecosystem. Please note this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not professional advice. For specific issues, please seek an appropriate professional or contact us at info at for more information. And now, without further ado, I will hand things over to Elle.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Platform Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Alice Hunsberger, who is VP of Customer Experience at Grindr. Alice, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. And... Tell me, first of all, for listeners that don't know, what is Grindr?
2: Grindr is the world's largest LGBTQ plus social networking platform, also known as a dating app.
1: Fantastic. And you have been with Grindr not for that long, am I right? Two and a half years now, yeah. Oh, well, that's sort of, I, I think any, any time period that comes in and out of the pandemic feels like both a long time and hardly any time at all. It sort of plays with our sense of timing, I think, in a way.
2: It does. A lot of people in tech move through jobs very quickly. I'm not one of them. I was at my previous job for a decade, but two and a half years is like a respectable amount of time in the tech industry, I feel like, so... It is. It is. But tell
1: me, what were you doing before that and how did you get into this role? Because I feel that there'd be many people listening who would be interested in your career path. Because I imagine, you know, when, when we're all sort of, you know, talking to our careers advisors at school, quite often these types of app and platform and the type of world that we all work in now didn't even exist at the time. So quite often when we set out in our careers, it wasn't necessarily what we had planned, so i'd I'd love to hear a bit more about your path.
2: yeah, I turn forty this year, and so i my experience I think is very different from people who are just starting out their careers uh twenty years ago, when I was in college, the idea of you know big tech platforms didn't really exist. there wasn't. Facebook, uh, Instagram didn't exist. MySpace didn't even exist. So social media and social networking um, was, you know, not really a thing. No. When I was in college, I founded an online message board for a little niche subculture of uh, punk rock music. And we talked about music and trading vinyl records, and it was lovely for a little bit. But then I quickly got a crash course in trust and safety, and realized (laughs) that anytime you have, you know, a message board or social platform of any kind, there are awful people who say horrible things. And so I had to learn pretty quickly what community guidelines were for, and how to IP ban someone and, you know, all of these things. And, uh, you know, it was pretty male dominated um, subculture. And so I got harassed as a woman founder and eventually gave it up after a few years and said, I never want to do this again. Uh, This is awful. Mm -hmm. And I worked in film. I was a documentary film editor and worked in new york city uh on film and tv shows and then um in 2009 the economy wasn't doing so well nobody was making documentary films i didn't like the Gig economy of you know working sixteen hour days for months on end and then not knowing when my next job was coming mm. and so uh, I was looking around for something else um, and a friend of mine was the founder of OkCupid okay uh, which is a dating app and I had as much experience as pretty much anybody in trust and safety and content moderation because. I had done this side project in college. And mm-hmm. so I was their second uh, content moderator and then their first customer support hire. And as the company grew, I grew with it. And so I was there for 10 years and that's how uh, I started in this industry.
1: That, that probably makes you one of the most, uh, in, you know, kind of experienced digital online trust and safety people I've ever spoken to, because it makes you, what do they call it? The OG. That's what the Gen Z's (laughs) call it, isn't it? Because to actually create something like that, you know, this sort of forum style before the likes of, of MySpace, what was it? What was that other one that was before MySpace? Friends reunited. Friendster
2: also. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, That's that's incredible. Cause you really learned the, um, the tough you know um (laughs) the tough reality of it before maybe anybody else realized because when we all first started going on these sites back then we thought this was an incredible world where everyone was nice to each other didn't we
2: well and that's how it always starts out um and that's always you know my advice to any founders who have any kind of user-generated content or um you know are trying to match make people or anything like that my advice is always you start out with a really nice community and everybody is great but there's issues with scale and the larger that you get and the more users that you have and the more that you um sort of vary from your initial friends and friends of friends and friends of friends that you might found your platform with then you know bad people <laughs> end up mm-hmm. coming. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no such thing as a magical community that has no problems, unfortunately. Yeah, it's just like Humans the real
1: world. <laughs> yeah.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, sometimes I hear people say, Oh, we don't have to think about trust and safety yet because our community is so great. And, you know, I just think, just wait, you know. <laughs> it's much better to to start early on and think about it from the very beginning when it's easy to do so. You don't want to Discover too late, like I did, um, that you should have thought about these things from the beginning.
1: It's like when you watch these sort of post-apocalyptic films where people find this community and everyone's being really nice to each other, and and you're just like, no, there's going to be something that's really awful and wrong about this because that's not really human, is it? To live in a camp yeah. kind of, in this sort of um, utopian society, it doesn't exist in real life or online. Let's talk about dating apps. In general, Alice, you talked about uh, is OKCupid where you worked previously. Yep. Now, yeah. at, at that point, um, how big were dating apps when you when you joined? Was 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 it quite a, a new thing, or what what level of of users was on, were on um, OKCupid at that point? And and what did trust and safety look like at the beginning of your time with them versus how it was when you moved on?
2: So this was 2010 and dating apps were still pretty niche. Um, when I told people that I worked for a dating app, nobody would admit to me that they used them. Really? Now, when I tell people I worked for a dating app, they're like, oh yeah. And everybody has a story about themselves or their best friend or their cousin who met their partner. Um, so it was uh, pretty different socially and culturally back then. Um, and when I started at OkCupid, it was still a small private company. I was there through their transition being bought by Match Group and being going public um, through Match Group. And so that was a big transition, being able to connect with um, the other apps and obviously A few years later, Tinder was founded and they really uh, caught the attention of young people. um, And that's what made dating apps much more ubiquitous uh, in society. And so, you know, the trust and safety landscape, I think, has changed a lot, obviously, has changed a lot over the last 13 years, um, as the internet has changed a lot Mm -hmm. over the last 13 years. And so, as more and more people use, dating apps um all of society is sort of encompassed in people's interactions there um the good and and the bad
0: Mm -hmm. and
2: you know I, i think online in general we're seeing or we have seen over the last 13 years a big change where you know in the early days of the internet people didn't necessarily want platforms to get too involved there was this idea of um free speech and open platforms and everybody can you know say what they want and share information and then as we've seen now people want more safety controls they want to customize their experience they want to be protected from um you know horrible people saying horrible things and so we've seen that kind of evolution across social networking uh in general and also with dating apps specifically now you know a lot of people have questions about how can i do this and stay safe um -hmm. and you know often i think that dating apps are uh you have more tools at your disposal if you meet somebody on a dating app than if you meet them at a bar um and so you know it's really depends on who who people are and and what they want and what they want out of the experience um yeah. but yeah, yeah. <laughs> the internet the internet's is very different now than than 13 mm-hmm. years ago that's
1: yeah. for sure and it's interesting i think with a lot of the online interactions that we have, we we do look now to be more protected than we did. And I'm thinking about, you've sort of (laughs) made me feel nostalgic for things like MySpace. But I think when we did start on things like that, we did feel that it was almost like a kind of, it was our platform and it was for the people um, Mm -hmm. on it. And I think now there's that sense that that didn't really work. And we actually look to be protected by the platform we're on and the people running it more um, rather than it being this sort of autonomous zone where anyone can just sort of do what they want. Um, yeah, so it's interesting.
2: There's also pressure, of course, on the other side. I think we have some people who want um, platforms to moderate more and you have other people who want platforms to moderate less and think that platforms already are overreaching while at the same time some people are saying, oh, no, they're not doing enough. So... I don't think uh, I don't think we as a society have quite figured it out. And then you yeah. add the extra layer, of course, of privacy, and there's been a lot of privacy regulations, and there's always been a tension between privacy and safety, uh, especially with dating apps and especially with Grindr, where so many of our users live in areas where um, it's not safe to be out as gay or a part of the LGBTQ community. Uh, even in the U S we're seeing huge backlashes now against, um, the queer community and trans people, and they're increasingly feeling unsafe. And so, uh, our platform is a way for people to connect and find each other, but also people don't necessarily feel comfortable showing all of their information right right away because Mm -hmm. they don't want to be targeted. So for, for this community safety is privacy and privacy is safety. And it's such an interesting balance because um, if you have the ultimate form of safety, you're like getting every single piece of information and holding it forever. And that's not particularly privacy forward, but ultimate privacy is not having any information about anyone and having everything encrypted. And that's not very safe. So you have to have a balance between the two. And, um, you know, it's it's a very interesting problem. Yeah. That I think that society hasn't figured out where they want tech platforms to be with that balance yet. And uh, I'd be interested to see what the next few years look like. Yeah. Um, and
1: you are in a unique position with your experience to look around at, at other dating apps. I mean, I'm not asking you to name names, but can you see out there some of the the apps and platforms doing it well doing it badly is it a mix do you do you in fact you know take much into consideration about what's going on out there or do you just focus on the the platform that you're working with at, at the moment
2: um every platform has its own unique user base with its own unique needs and so when i'm thinking about Um, my work at Grindr, we really just look at our community and what's best for them. Um, and I think every other app is, is doing the same thing, but, you know, we do, uh, talk with each other and, you know, I have relationships with people in the trust and safety, um, positions a lot of other dating apps and, you know, we'll talk and support each other and mm-hmm. yeah. uh, obviously not share <laughs> any mm-hmm. private or secret information, but it's not a competition when it comes to, to safety. So yeah. we're, we're, we're all wanting to do the best. Yeah. yeah, that's great. And so tell me a bit more about
1: your actual role, uh, VP of Customer Experience. What does that entail and who who is in your team?
2: Yeah, customer experience is a catch-all term which can mean lots of different things at different companies. So I oversee trust and safety, obviously, because I talk mm-hmm. about it a lot, and I'm here on this podcast. <laughs> um, also, policy—not public policy, but platform uh, policy—and you know, community guidelines, what rules we have for our users. Also customer support and our public facing resources and help center and user insights and our voice of the customer program. That's
1: pretty varied and also it sounds like a lot as well. Um, but when you started off at OKCupid, you talked before about how you know there really wasn't much in terms of a trust and safety team. How did you grow that and how did you structure it? Because I think a lot of listeners who work in the trust and safety space will be interested to hear about how you've come through this period of having to, I suppose, manage a lot of it yourself to actually growing teams and and how you actually did that.
2: Yeah, um, at OKCupid, I started out as a moderator, but then started and grew the customer support team at the time. Engineers were answering customer support emails, which is common with a startup, but maybe not the best idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, Engineers are not typically known for their great (laughs) customer service skills and people skills. And so I, I volunteered for that. Um, and then I ran the customer support team for, uh, for four or five years. And so I was dealing with trust and safety issues as they came through customer support. I always dealt with any really escalated, delicate issues because those would come through email um, and not in-app. But I wasn't running the um, trust and safety team or growing it. And then after a few years... Uh, the company wanted a uh, new management in place for the trust and safety team. And so I, um, started overseeing that team as well. So it had already been established by somebody else. Um, but it was very small. The company as a whole, uh, was less than 150 people. And so the moderation team had a moderation manager and it had some moderators and a couple of team leads, and it was a pretty simple structure uh and you know grinders structured similarly. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty easy um for to to structure trust and safety teams as you're in this sort of small uh small company size. Mm -hmm. I think you need to focus on people who have generalist skills. So people who are good at content moderation but also understand policy and also understand um you know all all parts of the customer experience landscape and the trust and safety landscape so so in a i would way, recommend uh, go so ahead
1: <laughs> no it just i suppose in a way having people who are able to multitask does that enable a team to be reasonably lean and i know that that at the moment particularly a lot of tech startups are really looking for that in a in a team you know that 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 sort of that lean approach
2: yeah i mean from my discussions with people in trust and safety generally i think trust and safety teams have always been fairly lean and will continue to be um it's but yeah you, you want people who are curious and, and flexible and able to do lots of things and um You know, I I recommend for people who are like that uh, to work for smaller companies because I think some of the big giant companies, their teams are much more focused and they'll have academics who wrote a thesis about one particular part of, you know, theory of moderation of something. And that's what they're obsessed with and want to study forever. And they get to do that at big companies. Um, but if you want to try lots of things and do lots of things, then small companies are great. And, you know, as a leader, it's been really good for my career to work for smaller companies because I get to grow Mm -hmm. as the companies grow, um, pretty much in lockstep. As soon as I've been ready for another challenge, something comes along, um, partially because I think I've been in these smaller spaces where I can also raise my hand and say, hey, I can do that thing. Like, oh, hey, I can answer customer support emails yeah,
0: <laughs> better yeah. than the
2: engineers all the way up to now where I'm like, oh, hey, you know, I can research machine learning and talk about it. So mm-hmm. there's always something new.
1: Now talk to me a bit about the actual design of, of these. I mean, I know you're not the the tech designer, but th- this isn't just trust and safety isn't just about having content moderation and trust and safety teams and, and you know, Customer experience is actually about the design of the platform. What's safety by design in this context? And you know, and how can it actually help, specifically when it comes to um social and, and dating apps?
2: Yeah, that's something that Grindr does a really good job of. Um, we have an amazing group of people who all really care about user safety who aren't necessarily um on the trusted safety team so we have um a group called grinder for equality that is sort of our social justice uh arm of the company that works with advocacy groups around the world and talks to people in areas where it's not necessarily um safe or easy to be part of the lgbtq community and so they talk to people and say what can we do to make your experience better to make you feel safer using our app and so we have a lot of really great um things worked into the design like the icon of our app can be switched out for a variety of different things uh, so that it looks like you just have a note-taking app on your phone instead of grinder we Amazing. have a pin- pin codes um and this is sort of worked through everything over the years so any big new feature that we release will have a conversation with the team about how this feature could be used or abused or what are the use cases for people how is it going to help make our users experience better and safer and so this idea of safety by design really works through all of the teams we have an amazing trust and safety product and engineering team so that's all they think about but with the teams who are focused in other areas they're all pretty well versed as well so mm-hmm. it's something that um, I do a lot of work as a leader to try to educate people in this and get get buy-in from everybody but I think naturally at grinder because we're so mission focused and and focused on really wanting to make people's lives better um everybody's you know thinking about safety and and people's experiences yeah, overall
1: that's amazing and just um to touch on content content moderation you did mention that before and and I just wonder what the challenges are and and indeed the learnings are when you obviously want to be gender inclusive How does that um, manifest when it comes to content moderation?
2: One of the best things about Grindr, I think, is that I get to really focus on the LGBTQ community. And that's all we think about. That's our entire user base. So when I was at OKCupid, I thought about the community as well. It's always been very important to me. But it was just a small section of our user base. And now when I'm at Grindr, that's all I do. And we're the biggest platform for our community. So I don't know that there's any group of people uh, in the tech industry thinking about our community more than we do. And so when it comes to content moderation, there's a lot of edge cases that other platforms may see here and there that we actually see Uh, fairly often. So one example for content moderation is images. So people can upload a photo and then our moderation team and our um, machine learning systems have to determine whether that photo is acceptable or not to be posted on a profile. And Apple and Google both have rules around nudity and pornography Um, And of course, we don't want pornography, you know, open on the platform because that would go against their rules. But, you know, the problem is that they um, have a rule that female nipples are pornographic and uh, male nipples are fine. And we know that gender is not binary. There's lots of people who are neither male nor female or are transitioning from male to female or are exploring their gender and trying to figure out uh, where they fit and you know their gender will change as they become more sure of who they are and so all of those things uh become very difficult when you're looking at a photo and saying okay i need to know the gender of this person to determine whether these nipples are acceptable or not but maybe the person hasn't said what their gender is or their gender is changing um, makes it very challenging. And so we, uh, what we do is whenever we moderate, we look at images. We also look at the gender that somebody has said that they are. Uh, a lot of the time, moderators uh, at other platforms will just look at individual images, but then they're making an assumption based on the photo of whether somebody looks female or not. And we can't make that assumption. We have to go by what the person tells us they are. Um, Mm -hmm. So if somebody says that they're non-binary, then, or male, um, then, of course, we approve the photo. Uh, And, you know, it's an extra step that we take that costs us a little bit of time, but, you know, helps us gain trust in the community and is the only fair thing to do. So there's a lot of other considerations. (laughs) I could go on about this uh, forever. It's so interesting,
1: Alice, and I mean, we are out of time, but I just wanted to thank you because I think that particularly our, the marketplace risk community will be so interested to learn about your experience and the, some of the challenges you face and, and be able to to take some of your ideas forward and, and help them as well. So thank you for being on the podcast today and telling us about your role at Grindr. It's been absolutely fascinating.
2: Well, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for tuning into the platform podcast. Be sure to check us out at marketplacerisk.com for information and resources to help startups launch, grow, and succeed. And follow us on social media at Marketplace Risk to stay up to date on all of our conferences, summits, virtual events, and more.